0: Welcome to The notice Podcast number 926. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tor Books, uh, the proud publisher of Shroud of Eternity by Terry Goodkind. Shroud of Eternity picks up where Terry Goodkind's New York Times bestseller, Death's Mistress, left off, promising a thrilling brew of bloodshed, deception, sorcery, The formidable sorceress Nikki and her companions, the newly powerless Nathan and the youthful Bannon, set out for another quest after driving ruthless slavers out of Renda Bay. Their mission? Restore Nathan's magic. And for Nikki, save the world. So please, don't miss Shroud of Eternity by Terry Goodkind. It's available now wherever books are sold. Uh, Let's talk to the Nerdist Community Court Board to find out where there's some stuff going on. First of all, I'm going to be performing in Phoenix, Arizona on uh, Thursday through Saturday, February eighth through 10 at Stand Up Live. Then the following week at the Brea Improv in Brea, California. And then the following week, February 23rd, 24th in Oxnard, California at Levity Live. So uh, tickets are on the internet for that. Please come out. I think I'm going to bring Mike Furman and April Richardson and we're going to, we'll have a nice time. Uh, also from the community, the Laguna Art Museum in Laguna Beach will be kicking off a year-long series of centennial celebrations with their Centennial Bash. On January 27th, it'll bring hundreds of art lovers and enthusiasts together and feature installations by artists Megan Geckler, Elizabeth Turk, and Friends With You. Live music by Matt Costa, DJ Nina Tar, craft beer tasting by Laguna Beach Beer Company, and food by Las Brisas. Pre-sale tickets are on sale now. They're offering Nerdist listeners a, a discount to get tickets for $20 by entering the code ARTNERD, all one word. Visit lagunaartmuseum.org for tickets and info. Also, uh, Todd Glass has been leaving comedian Blake Wexler voicemails for the past 12 years. They're releasing all of them as a comedy album this Friday, January 12th. What started as a young comic saving hilarious voicemails from his comedy hero, Todd Glass, quickly morphed into a combination of bits and, uh, bits and joke-em-ups and a documentation of a decade-plus evolution of a friendship. It's, uh, he describes it as hoop dreams for comedy nerds. Um, So, 12 Years of Voicemails from Todd Glass to Blake Wexler is now available for pre-order on iTunes. It releases Friday, January 12th of 2018, which is this year. Uh, This episode is Paul Thomas Anderson, who is... I mean, is it kind of an understatement to say he is an incredible director? He He is a genius. He is promoting Phantom Thread, which is playing in select theaters now. It is... I believe Daniel day lewiss last movie before he has decided to not uh, be an actor anymore. So you should definitely see it. It's I mean, The performances in this movie and the direction and the music and everything, it's just, it's such a beautiful movie. It'll be playing everywhere January 19th, so go see it. Paul Thomas Anderson, support good artists. Um, this episode also brought to you by stamps.com who has been an amazing sponsor for the notice podcast for all these years. So here's a new year's resolution. You can actually keep stamps.com. You can add to your business, save a ton of time and money this year, bring all the services of the postal service, right to your computer. You create stamps.com account in minutes. You can print official us postage. Right to your computer printer. Uh, That's it. Any letter, package, class of mail, then the mail carrier picks it up. No leave in the office. No hassle. And they're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates postage, the exact postage you need. And it is a fraction of the cost of the expensive postage meter. So... Right now, enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year. Go to Stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist at the top of the homepage. And now, here's Nerdist Podcast number 926 with Paul Thomas Anderson. Katie, please roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Amazing hotel and it was owned for a long a long time. I think still is by oh god. Um a kind of um a church group. And and everybody always wanted to shoot there, but the church group wouldn't let them when they would want script approval or something like that. <laughs> oh,
2: jeez. So it really limited yeah. the opportunity. I don't know what movies they allowed,
0: though, with the script approval. So in Inherent Vice, can you just say The Church of the Burning Sun yeah. is
2: the only true religion? No, I don't think we're going to be able it's to. It's just the title, Vice. It brings up a bad thing.
0: <laughs> what about... Uh, We saw Phantom Thread last night. We yeah. went and saw a screening of it. It was fucking great. Yeah, great, great job, man. Oh my God. You know, it just, I guess, you know, most of the time, you know, not all movies are great. But then when you see a great movie with
2: amazing performances, you're like,
0: oh, this is what they're supposed to be like. Oh, this is what that's supposed to look like. But he's so, Daniel Day Lewis is just.
2: Everybody really nails it.
1: It's yeah. incre-
0: it's really is uh, I mean we'll we, we'll talk about it some I just don't want to
2: give anything away
1: mm, yeah
2: yeah so I it, did feel like a like I could be a better husband after watching the movie <laughs> oh
0: go, yeah there were yeah. so there was I saw so many things where I'm like oh yeah I do that
2: yeah oh yeah do that yeah, yeah, too yeah. oh yeah that's
0: very familiar yeah.
2: you know, I'm reading that's something. good
1: right <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: that's I uh, that, that, so many flashes of just times I've you know try just been a dick and it's uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, was, it was a real good movie. Well, at first you sort of, you know, you feel empathetic. Where you're like, he's just trying to
2: focus on work. What is wrong with that? And yeah. then you just see the recurring
0: patterns. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah.
2: That's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the, and this isn't really giving anything away, but the uh, the tea scene when she brings in tea and he didn't ask for tea. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm taking it out. He's like, but it doesn't change the fact that you. The
1: interruption is staying right here. Yes, with exactly. Me. Yeah. 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 That's like, that's a classic example of what it's like to work with Daniel. (laughs) I I didn't mean it like that. What I meant was uh, I, I had, I wrote that scene and I think maybe the ending I had was something maybe I didn't even have one. It was like, I don't want tea, take it out. I don't want tea, take it out. And Daniel comes up with the best line of the thing, which is, well, the tea is going out, but the interruption is staying right here with me that's the kind of thing you get when you get Daniel Day-Lewis. He's that's like, incredible. right, he comes up with the bits that everybody will remember. I mean, how do you how would you how do you even characterize him because he's he is a character
0: actor of he is a character actor, but he's also an actor, he's a leading actor,
1: but he so it's he's kind of a weird hybrid. Well, he's well, look, yeah, he's one of a kind. He's yep. Daniel he's Daniel Day-Lewis as, you know, there's a reason he's Daniel Day-Lewis cuz he's Daniel Day-Lewis. That's right. Um but his performances, yeah, usually the things that maybe we're thinking about, like Bill the Butcher, you know, or Lincoln—they're—they're they're larger than life creations, you know. Um, very rarely do you see him like an equally great actor, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks kind of has a, a, a certain kind of personality that he can play variations on. Once in a while, he'll do something like different, like like Sully or something mm-hmm. like that. But Daniel genuinely seems to sort of shapeshift into something else but i guess you, you you we feel this need to categorize it if it's a if it's a part kind of a performance it's a character so always a character actor but he's front and center and he's the most interesting thing in in, in you know in anything he does so he I, does, guess, I guess
0: i guess i was just saying i guess it's cuz he also he makes them he makes them so unique that they sort of become characters whereas if someone else had played woodcock it would it, it it probably it wouldn't have had all the nuance i mean it's like it it when you see someone who's so effortless that it's just like i'm just watching i'm just watching this per this is this is this i'm
1: watching this guy yeah i know no and i i've said something to that effect and it kind of sounds almost inarticulate you're trying to describe oh. it and i remember um Showing a guy I work with a lot, when he saw him put his socks on, and, he was, and he's like, I don't know how to describe it except I just watched a man put his socks on, <laughs> you know, and I think it's some feeling that you feel somebody inhabiting something and some kind of strange magic with Daniel that you. I don't know how it works. I've worked with him twice and I still don't know how it works. It's just, it's and it's like that live in front of you, hmm. you know, I sat there in the front row and watched it happen and it, it's the same. It's the same feeling that you get when you watch the film. You're like, hmm, there's a guy shaving. I've never really watched a man shave like that before. <laughs> strange. I don't know how he does it, but I like it. I remember when I was, uh, when I was in college,
0: my, my best friend from high school had skipped college and became a storyboard artist. And I was a kind of an amateur cartoonist and I go, hey, maybe I want to try getting the storyboard artist. And he goes, okay, um, draw a guy walking across the street. I was like, well, that's not hard. And I n- never made one line on the page because I, because then when I started to think about like, oh, well, what kind of guy? What street? What's he doing? I don't know. Like I just couldn't mm-hmm. – like so much of my conscious mind was in the way mm-hmm. rather than just doing it. And I think it's kind of the same thing when you watch someone. Because those would be two different parts of your brain when you're pretending and when you're being.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you're watching him, you're like, he just is. He yeah. just is that thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember him when we were talking about other actors. It's kind of a window into how an actor might look at other actors um, and appreciate their performances in that way that you just said. He was talking about, I don't remember the film, but we had just seen it. And we were on the phone, and he was talking about John C. Riley, who had, in a scene, uh, woke up, I think, and answered the phone. He said, do you remember that scene when he, he wakes up and he answers the phone? I said, yeah. He says, fucking Riley Looks like he just woke up. <laughs> you know? And it was like, and that's what you're talking about. That's what you want. He's like, yeah, you look like, if you're going to look like you just woke up, yeah, look like you just woke up. Did you tell John that? I don't remember. Probably, I thought he told him.
2: there was the guy who played the doctor in uh, the movie had a John C. Riley vibe to him. Or maybe it was just the forehead.
1: That's it's that Irish uh, Irish mug. I yeah, think. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> guess so. yeah. yeah when he popped
2: it, up, I was like, I wonder if he's a Riley. Yeah. Or <laughs> some other is this like the, the new
1: Baldwins, Is just gonna be a bunch of C. rileys everywhere. Probably in a certain some village from because that, that that actor's Irish, Breen Gleason, his mm. uh, brother's Domino Gleason.
2: Oh
0: okay. Yeah. He's yeah.
1: Brendan Gleason's son. Exactly. Right.
0: That's he's got that Irish little bit a little bit of a lisp there, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know what if that's a regional Irish. But there is sort of the like the cranberries Irish, the
2: cranberries
0: Irish, which is like the Queen's English. The cranberries Irish. Yeah. But then there's that lispy version too, and I I don't know where that's from. Is that a reg- Is that regional,
1: or is that just? I don't know Irish accents. I don't have an ear for that at all. It all sounds Irish to me. Um, but I, it's very, I offensive very, very offensive. There's a very yeah I know. I, uh, there's a, there's there's a very I know that there's a very particular um, Dublin accent. Dub- Dubliners have a particular accent. It's probably not as offensive of me going, they
0: talk like this with a little bit of a lisp. <laughs>
1: they sound like leprechaun.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to launch into that because I feel like someone's
1: going to be like, that's not cool anymore. You can't do it. You're not allowed to do that yeah. anymore. I don't know. I think the Irish would probably be, they're always, t- you know... They're happy to be laughing at themselves. Good. So they'd be know. charmed by the clumsiness of what I'm what that's
0: I'm
2: doing. Absolutely. Rather than well, see well, they'd see be rhythm. drunk. See, that's a come fact. on. That's, that's not, the part that shouldn't have happened. That's not cool <laughs> yeah, of no. you. I'm using myself as an example. <laughs> as he drinks boxed water. Yeah, yeah. The boxed water, by the way, I we you know, we're giving it a shot to
0: maybe not use so much plastic, but it's just this weird thing where you gotta you know, turn it like shotgun this. style. It's like this. Yeah, you just I just feel like it's <laughs> strange. it at all? Are you are you okay with the box water,
1: Paul? The upper um, <laughs> portion is scratching.
0: It's mushing the upper into part of face. my lip. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Other than that, I'm, I'm. It tastes good.
0: Yeah, I know. Maybe yeah. we should just go. I think we should go back to plastics. I want to talk a little bit also about your history with Largo. Like okay. With the with the because I mean I, that was when I started doing stand-up, It was kind of at Largo. And uh, and that those the Monday night comedy shows at Largo. I mean, even even as much as you know the Cornet Largo era is superlative. You know the, that old club on Fairfax, which the, there's still a restaurant there now, that community restaurant, and they retained like they kept. If you go in the bathrooms, they kept like the Largo signs. That's they, right. They made it to the ceiling, and the stage is still there. But when did you stumble upon that? And how did you get involved? How did you get involved in that uh, that scene?
1: It would be through John Bryan, um, who I met through Michael Penn, mm-hmm. who I called up to score my first film. Right, um, and when I so when I call Michael Penn, he said, I, "I would love to do this, but I'd like to do it with a guy named John Bryan." I said, okay, um, I was kind of calling you, but who's John Bryan? <laughs> and
2: um, now, first of real quick, is this uh, twi- or uh, heart, and cigarettes or heartache? Heart okay, I those
1: heartache. Um, and so when I met John Bryan, I was in love instantly. He's a, a lunatic and a genius and brilliant. And then he was, I think he was about, I mean, he, he knew Flanagan, and obviously, and he. I don't remember what shape Largo was at that time, but somewhere then between meeting John Bryan and somehow six to eight months later, I found myself part of this, this group of people on Fairfax, uh, generally, generally on Friday nights, but Amy Mann was a big part of that as well because yep. she's married to Michael. Yep. And she would perform there regularly. And then, Getting to know Flanagan just meant, like, right. I am going to be here more than just to see John Bryan. I am going to be here to see Flanagan and to see whatever else he tells me I should come and see. Hmm. So many great things that came through there. Do you remember um, White Trash wins Lotto? Of course I do. Yes, yeah. that was. I mean, I remember. I think the, f-
0: I think maybe the first year I ever did Aspen when that was still a thing. I think White Trash was there that year.
2: Is that right? And uh yeah that was did you ever see White Trash Wins Lotto? No no I, I think it was done by the time I moved out here. Oh, Cuz it was like late 90s right when yeah. it was still going on. I didn't I was not the first time I tried to go to Largo was 2001 and I waited in line to see Tenacious D and um I was the last person like the person in front of me was the last person to get in and uh and and then they closed the door and it was fine though because i was hoping i didn't have a fake idea i was hoping to talk my way in sounds like beam. white trash lost lotto at the time. <laughs> good point
1: uh did you have anything to do with it or did you were you no, a fan of it no it just it just you just you just rattled my memory bank and it came to my mind it was amazing though i saw it at least five or six times
2: what was the show it was like a like a play It's kind of a.
0: It's sort of um, yeah. It was like a musical that sort of made fun of Axl Rose.
1: Yeah, it was a. It was a like kind of overscaled Broadway style musical that told the story of Axl Rose with like uh, you know a a stalk of corn or what are they? What like a a, a, yeah the the grain yeah the wheat grain. In his mouth, stepping off a bus and hitting the big lights of Hollywood, and and what <laughs> what happened from there? He just kind of made into this. Uh, the, the music was great, the stories were great, um, and just deeply, deeply funny. Look yeah. at the construction of a band and becoming rock stars and drug addicts and lunatics and all that, and it was pretty great. Was there a Who guy, was in was, it? It was, was a guy from Wall of Voodoo. Was it Andy? Pre Andy pre Pre Boy. Yeah. Preboy. Right. Pre I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Pre-boy. and um who was the replacement singer in Wall of Voodoo. That's mm-hmm. right, after Stan Ridgway. Yeah. Yeah, if
2: I have yeah, my was, it, right. Yeah, yeah. Sandra it was is, Richway used to be a customer of the record store I worked Holy at. shit. Yeah, yeah but the, there,
0: there were so many shows that like kind of really popped at Largo like Naked Trucker. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, Naked Trucker, right. Naked yeah. Trucker was great.
1: Um, Mary Lynn uh, Rice Cup and um, Karen Kilgariff Girls of the guitar guitar Club. Guitar club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was great.
0: That was great too. And then um, I saw at the... Higgins Boy. Higgins Boy's a group that predates Largo okay. by like a decade. All right. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I saw I saw Mitch Hedberg once at Largo uh, read what he called a uh, a he said he he said uh, I wrote a menu on spec, and then he just read him he just read this oh menu that he wrote, and then he would stop you know he he was basically just like food items and then he'd be like I'm not sure I am using braised correctly in that context <laughs> and he just fucking read a menu that he wrote I mean Jeez. it was such a great. Fertile ground for experimentation, but then also, I mean, you can sort of see the parallels of that kind of artistic comedy scene, and then and then the film movement that I think you helped create, like in, in you know in the mid in the early mid nineties, and uh, and it you know it was such an, an incredible magnet. I mean, do you really? Do you sort of look at that and say like, oh, we all sort of fed each other. Like we all are kind of – we were all kind of helpful to each other in in those ways.
1: Well, I certainly felt inspired by my nights there and um, and it not even directly like, oh, I'm seeing a performer like Mary Lynn or Patton Oswalt and they can come be – play a part in this film because certainly there was that. But I suppose you're right and I never really thought of it that where I haven't in a long time of just like – Feeling good after going out to a night there and getting energized to wake up the next morning and start, you know, and keep writing, working whatever you're working on. There was a really, it was a really fertile time. Um, And certainly Amy's music, she she was playing there a lot, was inspiring me to write Magnolia Mm -hmm. at the time. So then that, that would be the film that probably at that time came out of my experiences Spending time there—that's really rad. Amy's,
0: you know, it's because I when she, when she did the soundtrack for Magnolia, I hadn't really heard anything much of hers because that was slightly it was a little bit maybe before I came into Largo it was like 98 was when I came in but I hadn't really heard much of her since till Tuesday which to me was just like oh this is just kind of a pop song and then going back and listening again and realizing like no this is actually really a dark yeah <laughs> like there's a real story and a fucked up through line to this <laughs> that recontextualized after the after Magnolia it was like oh my god there's so much br- I just yeah I just missed the
1: brilliance when I was young because I just thought it was just like a pop song. Sure, sure. She's always been good at writing um, upbeat downers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> her album
2: this year is, is one of my favorite albums of the year, Mental uh, mental Health and uh, Mental Illness. Have you heard it either? No, oh, I haven't heard it yet. It's no. It might be like one of the best albums she's ever made in her life. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. But it's funny because you – I'm sure you think back to those times like, oh my God, I haven't seen those people in a long
0: time. And you like, what do you have, like four kids now? Do mm-hmm. you have four kids? and uh, But I used to take Groundlings classes with your wife, too. You're kidding. No. In like 96, maybe? I think like mid-90s? Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were both there. Was the, John
1: Crane a teacher of yours?
0: I can't remember. It was um, – there was a woman named Karen Mariyama, and then there was a, uh, a guy named Michael McDonald who was on – it was like oh, – the groundlings were either going to like SNL or Mad, Mad TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was just like a it was like a lot of those people. But uh, yeah, she was great. You know, I was really happy to. She was really super cool back then, and every time I would run into her, just still super cool and right. like now, like a mom with four kids, and still <laughs> like so. I would imagine that takes a lot of your
1: extra energy, though. <laughs> um, it, it uh, absolutely. Um, but there's no better place or no other place I'd rather put it, but it's not even extra energy. The extra energy is left over for the movies. Now the energy goes to them, honestly, (laughs) like usually like, um, Monday's my day off. Usually I'll like come into the editing room and like nap because you've just spent like seven, you know, 48 hours with four kids and it's fun if it takes a lot a lot of energy. And did, I have a lot of energy, which is good. So I've got it to give. But yeah. um yeah, it's great. Did it change did having kids
0: change cuz you know people say, "Oh my god, when I had kids, I realized it wasn't all about me anymore and I just totally reprioritized, shifted on my priorities." And so do you were you ever concerned like, oh, am I still going to give a shit about making movies? Like, once I have kids, am I only ever going to care about that? Or do you still feel like your passions are...
1: No, I mean, no, I mean, no, I never really... I, I mean, I, I always, I think I always knew that I would have a lot of kids. I, I've come from a big family and I I aspired to have uh, many kids. I, I, I enjoy a big family. Um, and I had no fear about it re you know altering the landscape of my priorities or anything like that um i suppose in a practical way i knew that i i don't make movies that often i mean i can and ma- make them every maybe sort of 2 to 5 years mm-hmm. and so being a writer is a really good job to that fits in with being a father you right. know because if you, if if you choose to sort of work a kind of you know a Schedule that that allows for it. Yeah, I wake up before the kids wake up and do some writing and I can get them up and get them to school, and then they're at school, you know, and then there's all that time that they're at school. So, but come three o'clock, you got to be ready. You got to be ready <laughs> for the onslaught. So, um, know, but-, but you do have to understand, though, too, that it, when you, when for me, when making a movie, it, it that becomes very hard. That's about three months, that's about 60 days where. You know, at this point, you have to look them in the eye, like, right? I'm not going to be around much, you know. But um, on this, they were they came over to England. And you see them before you go to work. See them when you get home. So it, it all just flows. I mean, they're sort of they're. I don't know. I never had any fears of of that.
0: But also, you you, I would imagine you have to learn. Were you a really disciplined? Obviously, you, I, I assume you were a disciplined writer because you've been making movies for so long, but. But you, were you really good about going? Okay, I'm gonna. I need to write from nine a.m. to three p.m. Or did did that sort of change how you became your work a creative
1: time? No, I was always really. I was always kind of like that, even as a kid. It was a really strange discipline that I had for myself. I think I I I worked really hard at it because I never felt like secure as a writer. So I really like I put my mind to it at the exclusion of my schoolwork. I did not do schoolwork. <laughs> I just. <laughs> practiced writing screenplays
0: and now you're very successful so the lesson here is don't do your schoolwork kids if your kids hear that they're gonna be like you didn't do your school i know i didn't but you'd have to
1: yeah i know um but look if they were sitting down to write scripts i would probably i wouldn't have a leg to stand on (laughs) okay um i always had a good discipline um i think because i probably felt scared like if you want to be a writer there was always that thing of like you know, oh, you know, that romantic thing of writers getting drunk and smoking cigarettes right. and writing. I learned pretty fast, like that was kind of bullshit. At right. least it was yeah. for me, like, right. If you get drunk, you can't write anything, no. right? Um, or at least it's not going to be any good. And somehow I found, I kind of had this, maybe it was an insecurity thing. You're like, right. If I am a writer, that means I'm making my own, I'm kind of in charge of my, my day. I think I would, I felt, too horrified to kind of squander it and not that i would sit down and write straight from nine to three i mean i consider writing like if even if from nine to three i sit at my desk or even if i sit on the couch and i watch tv or even if i'm researching <laughs> something i know the amount of things that have to come out of me even if they can come out quite fast sure. they can come out like in 45 minutes or an hour but there has to be that room to sort of sit with something yeah. or, or as long as you're the old phrase, I've used it before, but I can't... I think Neil Young says, like, the muse will find you as long as you're sitting at your desk, you know? And I know what that means. That means, like, right, you can't, you know, you can't just go fuck off yeah. and, with your day. Um, you I can't gotta be really running around town
2: about. and doing stuff and, like, hanging out, thinking that you're going to get hit with something that w- is worthwhile.
1: I, I, in my experience, but yeah. I'm paranoid, you know? I feel like i got to work really hard. <laughs> I
0: mean, it, I always love hearing how different writers tackle this idea but you know when you sit down and it's like oh the screen's blank i can't i just don't i don't have it today i can't get there like do you are you able to force yourself to write or do you in those moments you go all right i'm not going to get anything done today so i'm just going to put this away and i'll come back to it tomorrow
1: Mm, i would try i would try to never i would try to create i would try to mm, how do i put this never try to face a situation like that um you go you go to that computer when you know you've got something to get out, and if you don't have anything that's ready to leap out, you better be finding ways to start digging something up um and that could be even if that means sitting down and watching a movie or reading a book or even if that means taking a walk or daydreaming you know yeah. but getting in that spot where you like put that pressure on yourself, oh it's, a, it's a, that's a mindful that's a head fuck. That that will like I don't know ruin your confidence so fast like right. <laughs> um, I got to come up with something good. I don't know. Um it's hard to be loose with writing, but I think I found that when I'm when I'm loose it it can it happens well. But other times you usually the stuff that you don't want to do is like editing or kind of you know the the grudge work of it. Right, which yeah. is just no fun. It's kind of like, well, I, the inspiration part already happened. Now I've got to find a way to make this readable and cut it down to a reasonable size, or something like that, and Does do that make it any in, sense?
2: in an amount of time like that's quick enough to where you don't get sick of the idea or bored of the idea. For sure, yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah, you can labor on things for too long, and then it just and then it all looks terrible. And then yeah, you really lose confidence. you
2: don't even know what your lo- words
0: don't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Like I've heard this scene yeah. so many times, I don't even know if it looks good anymore. For if sure, it makes sense for sure. Are there moments, uh, you know, you you must have like happy accidents, you know, where you're oh, I actually meant to do this, but then this was such a happy accident, and now this. Can you think of any specific examples? Or any of your films, like anything kind of iconic where you're like, oh, that was a total total accident there. We just accident- – I didn't realize we had that and then there it was.
1: You, you're putting me on the spot because I can't think of an example. But I know they happen all the time. And they happen in a way – just thinking about Daniel actually. Daniel loves the, the typos and stuff that I leave in. And I, sometimes I'll leave them in – a typo or a kind of a repetition of something will happen um, that wasn't intended, just when you're writing so fast, it just kind of comes out. And sometimes you stop and you look at it and you go, I'll just leave that in. And Daniel always picks up on them. He's like, oh, hmm. I, I, I love that. I was like, yeah, it was nice. And he's like, oh, and he's always on the lookout for my typos hmm. to try to find a different way to flip words around or something like that. So I'm really aware of them. And they when they happen. I'm trying desperately to think of one to give you a good example. <clears throat> and I'm but that's a good. But, that,
0: but if you if you happen to think of one later,
2: you can shout it out. But 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 they that's a
1: yeah. They didn't expect oil to come out of the ground.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, no, that no. was like, and they just like you guys just kept rolling. What a and, great yeah. The yeah. earth improv. Yeah, yeah. And then you were just like, yeah. let's roll with this. Oil this totally changes everything <laughs> we
0: were doing. But but you know, with um. So is this this is is, is he's retiring after this? Is like this is it? He's taking a. That's it? Yeah. I can understand based on the limited amount of information I have on him as a performer. My, my guess would be like, it seems like he, because he's so he gets just so engrossed in everything that at a certain point, you're probably like, I would like to just
1: live my life now and not have to go through that anymore. Is that right. part of it? It seems to me that that is a part of it for sure. Um I mean, I don't know. I would hope that he'll reconsider, and maybe just the sort of going through the couple of years of work to do this took took a toll and he just wants to pause. but on the other hand, I could see that this is a real thing. He's just like, right, I want to do something else I've got you know, I suppose I don't know how much better he can do, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is, he's done it. Like he's proved, yeah, he's, yeah. Pro- he's proved that he can do it. Yeah, but you know, is that not? It's funny to hear you on the one hand say, "Oh, you get really paranoid and you get really stressed about about output and get," but then do you not have? Do you not get neurotic about like, okay, this is Daniel Day Lewis's last movie. This. Got to make this good. You know, like, I mean, do you you put that pressure on
1: yourself or are you able to just throw that to the side? That's to the side. I mean, it was never – his decision not to retire came after the film mercifully anyway. So uh, perhaps I would have felt some pressure. But no, I mean, you know, whatever nervous energy you bring into the beginning of a film goes away so fast with – the practicalities of moving 40 people from one end of the street to the other (laughs) and just the nuts, the kind of shit, nuts and bolts of it. It just takes the wind out of you so fast. You're like, right, okay, all that horseshit kind of nerves, that's over, right? How do we, we need to get on with this. I mean, just some real like practical practical marching thing takes over in you as a director. You're like, there's no daydreaming, there's no nerves, (laughs) there's no, none of that. Crap, like, right, get on with it. There's yeah. a lot riding on this. There's a lot of people, you know, there's weather issues, there's budget issues, there's all that kind of stuff. You yeah. just like, come on, march on. Yeah. Be whimsy on your own time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but you, you know, just hearing like, well, he's such a method guy and he's in char- like, he's super in character all the time, but obviously you figured out a way to communicate with him. Are, are you but is that happening while you're shooting or is that all done before you're like okay we'll figure this out before then when we get on set i will give you your space to be you know immersed well
1: it's it i mean well look it, <laughs> You it, understand he, it, it, the idea of him being in character is is it's it's true and it's accurate to a point, but it's not as if he doesn't realize he's in a film. Sure, he's he's making that right. you know that there's there's <laughs> there's a camera right there. Sure, and, you know he understands him what the mission is. But the majority of work, the the times that I've worked with him, I think this is true for other directors, too. I'm not really sure. It happens beforehand, Mm -hmm. like deep beforehand. So whether it's historical research that you're doing or just dialogue or just sort of working on the script and and really sort of mapping it all out and really, really considering this is a man who lives here and this is the tablecloth he's going to have and those lamps and all these sorts of details happen beforehand and what's great about that is that when you do get to the set there's very little dialogue about what we're going to do that day there's you you leave some decisions like hat on hat off tie which color you know you kind of you leave some of those decisions because it's nice to leave something to do you know he still has to get out there and now do the scenes and stuff like that but there's very little um there's very little discussion about what how we're, what we're going to do once we're doing it. We're not improvising and kind of discovering things right. as we yeah. go too much. Yeah.
0: How do you how did you pitch this movie to him? Did you have the script done or did you just have the idea for the pitch? I
1: had an idea and we had a desire to work together again and um I thought it would be nice to see him uh as a romantic kind of leading man. And now the stories took a lot of different turns <laughs> along the way there. <laughs> it's not exactly that, yeah. but that was a kind of a start. Um, wanting to make a, a movie about a relationship that really focused on that and having him involved in that was like, just one of the, like the couple things that you kind of have on a piece of paper, like, right. This, 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 there's something, there's something here. There's something here that could be really nice. um, And so we talked about ideas um, about we had a character that was kind of strong-willed and self-contained and self-possessed and cranky and, you know, that was artistic by nature so that it would be – the idea was was about need, was about what happens when somebody like that finds themselves in a position where they find that they're really in love and that they need that love and that – that kind of idea so really we had an idea it could have been anything it could have been a sculptor it could have been a writer it could have been a painter could have been a musician something something that kind of lends itself toward that kind of lifestyle right but none of those seem very interesting or had been done or weren't very cinematic I mean you know rarely is like writing cinematic you know Mm -hmm. there's been some great movies but it's not seeing somebody sit at a typewriter Lost Weekend's a great one but anyway there are good ones but The idea of setting it in the world of fashion seemed really appealing to us. Dan's got a great love of clothes. Um, And as a backdrop for this story that could get a little nasty and peculiar, it seemed really delicious to us. Having these women come in and out of this house and all these these gorgeous gowns and the intricacies of what it means to make them—that was like, it was really floating our boat when we were, were reading about this stuff and getting into it.
2: Well I, I really like. I love the the exploration of you know it's like being in a relationship, but like he's like his business is women. He's surrounded by women yeah. all the time, yeah. And beautiful women coming from all over the world. Yeah, and it's like, and that that can cause you know friction, um, and like in a relationship, no matter what the. You know intentions are and right know, for him and i thought that was like like that when when that started kind of bubbling up i thought it was such a great way to but also just the it. idea that
0: <clears throat> just the idea that uh i personally really and this isn't too much of a spoiler but just personally identifying with the the kind of obsessive nature of his rituals yeah and it's, and just the idea of like this, you can't upset the ritual. Like, this is the ritual, and who are you to come in and fuck around with this? Oh, a second ago, we were, we, we had sex. like, I thought everything was great, but this is this time now. Yeah, right. And this yeah. is my, and even sort of, uh, you know, there is, there is kind of a re- recurring maternal thing that, that happens with him, especially with Cyril, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then ultimately with Alma, I think, mm-hmm. it sort of feel, feels like that but um but i think you know what i've noticed in in, in m- m- a few of your films is sort of idea of like you know these kind of flawed people who sort of figure out how to form a you know like th- like they sort of choose to form their own family in mm-hmm. a way where it's like this is the we we kind of pull together and we're this family, particularly um, uh, uh, with the boogie nights, or mm-hmm. you know, it's like oh they're forming a fan. And I saw this with this a little bit too. Is that something that you think of, or do you do you discover stuff about yourself after you see your movies and go, oh, I think I was. Wow, I think I was trying to express this.
1: Yeah, probably. When you that stuff you I mean, I don't know that it, you discover that after the movie's finished. You usually discover that for me kind of as the writing's going on. Um and then there are even more discoveries as you're filming it. Like um you're sitting there staring at two people in a scene and you're like, "That is not how I thought this was going to go <laughs> no. at all." But it, you're it's welcome and it's kind of exciting. Um that thing—it's funny. You're talking about boogie nights, but that, I don't know—I don't know anything about your life. But how intertwined is the life that you leave, Let's say a personal life and your work life. I would sure. imagine they—they they do intermingle, you know. Absolutely, um, and probably more and more these days. But certainly, my experience in the movie business with the people that I work with—I'm so close to. You know, they even when we're not making a movie they're my friends they're my uh, an extension of my family so i've always had that um because i've always I've, since a very young age made films so it's kind of that's my life experience full stop just like right i don't have a very blurry line between um a family that i work with and a family that i actually live with
0: right but you definitely, I'm I'm curious to sort of understand how you're able because you've worked with so many amazing actors, and you know not to discount them as human beings, but just there's something to it where it's like, oh, it's like the guy who can get into a with a bear cage or like a lion den and still you know like like oh he's gonna be okay because. You know, the, the, these people that you work with, are, they can do a lot of things, and they choose to work with you. but You obviously understand how to communicate with a lot of different personality types, and so <laughs> <laughs> you know, is is, the, is there some type of uh, you know, is that is that just did, I like that? Did you have to I'm learn? Sure. Did you have to learn how to do that, or did you, or or, or were you always like like a good communicator? Because not only do you have to be able to just communicate with them person to person, but you also kind of have to get them to sort of do what you need them to do, which is another
2: hurdle. Yeah. Did that come from being from a big family? Hmm,
1: I don't, I wonder, I never thought of it quite like that. That's interesting. I mean, but that may, may create a false impression, that sort of idea of getting them to do what you need them to do. I never totally felt like that. I always feel like, that there's always an agreement of what we're we're after and that if there's a help that i could give as a director is that if i happen to spot something that that you're not you're not getting there that the that the, the thing that we've agreed on that this is going to be funny and let's say it's not funny like well it's not funny so <laughs> now how do we make it funny you know um and so never really feel like that sense of I've got to navigate somebody towards something that I need them to do. Um, I've heard of things like that, like directors, like with kind of Machiavellian plans, like I'm going I'm <laughs> to pit you against you. And they, I'm going to tell you one thing. Oh, <laughs> oh right, right. I'm going right. Right. to tell you something else. <laughs> yeah. And that, I don't know, that's fucking scary to me. <laughs> that, that would backfire. That Sooner, seems like it could super yeah. backfire. Sooner or later, no. you guys are going to get in the same room. Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> what? He, he told me that the secret history was that we were brothers. He's like, no, 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 and Whatever it was. So I think I like to, I, the actors that I were, we all, everybody likes to be on the same page. Like, right, what are we after? What's the mission? and as a director and that part you're just trying to have a wide angle view just to make sure maybe somebody's forcing it to you know it's like you mm-hmm. can you know i'm sure you sort of seen that like groundling stuff just like so how helpful is it somebody on the outside is just like you're pushing it you're forcing it just right. whatever those kind of words can be um, and more than words it's like just the setup of a situation like you know i haven't seen many other sets but sometimes you sort of get a sense that they're not really set up for the actor, that the actor might as well just be like the tablecloth. Right. You know, and that, that's not at all how I like to work or the people I, yeah. So it's more like everything we're doing is in service of the actor. I think I learned that early on was like uh, the movies that I like, have great these great performances and that was the stuff that was really speaking to me. But two, the other thing is you realize like, Right. I remember, like a few months before my my first movie, I was like, "What do I remember from looking at movies?" I remember looking at the actors. Like, I don't, I don't really remember what the wall color was. I don't remember production design. I, don't, I just remember looking at the actors. That's always been the thing. I've been like, that's the biggest thing in the frame. Usually, when you go see a movie, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, you get maybe get some wide shots of a desert. The desert looks good, but how long can you do that? That that would that would get really boring really fast. You absolutely look at this waterfall. Ah, oh, it's a fucking great waterfall. <laughs> look at this river, <laughs> great river. But sooner or later, that you you know that that would be a travel log film, you know? right? I mean, you like you, after that shot, you really need to cut to an actor's face who's going to. Tell me the story that I'm there to see. It's so enlightening to hear you say that because now that you're saying that, it's like when I'm thinking about all your
0: movies, I'm going, oh, yeah. Oh, I see it. That you you, it, it, you do form a relationship with your performers, but you, but you as a director are there to serve them and not yourself. And it makes all the sense in the world why so many great actors want to work with you because even if they can't articulate that, they feel it. Sure. They see it on screen, you know, because – Everyone, I mean, look, an actor really has to trust a director because whatever they do on set, you know, even if they give the most brilliant performance in the world, there's not a 100% guarantee you're going to use that take or that you're going to edit it that way or that they're going to look great.
1: That's exactly right. And I've, you know as many actors as I do. Yeah, there's a, there's an unfortunate thing that can get in because of, because of situations like that that unfortunately a lot of actors just fighting for survival will have to listen to a director nod their head who's saying a bunch of fucking horse shit to them. And they're like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And they're like, right, let me just go do what I need to do. <laughs> right. I, you know, and that happens, unfortunately. Like, so I don't know the way around that because actors have to survive and they have to take care of themselves too. But I think, yeah, if they... If they feel safe and they feel comfortable, that's that's when they're at their best, you know?
0: Do you involve them at all in the editing process? Are you like, hey, what do you think of this or this? Or like once they're
1: done with their performance, they're like, okay, now I'll I'll get it from here. I do invite them to be involved in that. And some of them don't want to be involved. Um, and some of them do. Um you know, Joaquin. You have to like drag him by the hair of his head to get him. <laughs> in it, like, and then he'll kind of look at it like this, like you know, with his head down. With yeah, with his head down. But also, in the meantime, I can remember getting a few kind of really good ideas from him. Just he's like, "Well, do you think we need that or whatever it is?" It's, I, I mean, I, you know, it's it, uh, there's a certain amount of work you can't. It's really good for a director to do on his own when editing a movie together. Um, But I always love including the actors. That's very brave, too, because you...
0: In the sense that, you know, you, you might love a take of something, and an actor goes, "My chin looks weird in that," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah
2: but I need the no, but everything else is yeah." Vanity yeah. will be the first thing that they'll. You know.
1: Well, but just just try not to hire those actors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't
1: hire fat actors. That's what Paul Thomas.
0: <laughs> no, but it, it, you know, it in that I think again goes back to the idea of just having a good relationship with them, and they and and you know that y- making the actor feel safe is probably a really good thing to do cuz you're going to get the best performance out of them and they're going to want to work with you mm-hmm. and it's it's going to it's going to all click probably a lot better than if they feel like if they're in their head or they feel threatened or they feel, like, not it, safe.
1: I mean, even if you just took it to a practical level, like, what could ruin the, everybody's day? is like if an actor's not happy or they're not getting it right. Like, you know, those sort of moments where somebody, like, can't remember their line or they're feeling tight or whatever it is. Like, you're not going anywhere until you get it, you know? So, like, right. Yeah. They're the most important thing. The move, The, 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 the idea that is, like, the movie goes to the actor... Not this actor has to get come to this movie, right? Yeah. Um, but that said, that's sort of around whoever you, the lead of the story is, and I think there's there's other things like you you ask people to come in for a day's work or even a couple hours' work. Do you know what I mean? They, they that that sort of they're expected to. Step into a movie that is already existing and a world that's already on fire, and you that you have to kind of well, you know what I mean right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that 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 has you have to be very careful with that too because I, I you know that can be very intimidating for people like, right like what wait, what movie are we in because I mean do you want me to am I come on am I funny in this, but hopefully you have those conversations way in advance, and you you figure that out so that those poor people have to come in very quickly can you know, ha- have something to offer and don't feel just like tourists.
2: Yeah. You know? Well, like when Martin Short came in, in and Vice, it's like it became like very like a Martin Short scene. Yeah. Which
1: is great. I I love that scene. Yeah. I would never worry about Martin Short being nervous though. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. But <laughs> he's like, such a like, chill
0: dude. He's just yeah. such a chill guy. Like he's. It really is remarkable that as a comedy entity, he's probably the least insecure comedy person I've ever met. Yeah. Because he just he just. Yeah. He, he, he you see him on stage and he's still as funny as he ever was and i saw him and steve martin at um do their live show where did you see it i went to, i went to vegas to see it so did i oh you did yes i was in like july or august i went in uh, early november I, they they okay. did it or, yeah. or in the fall i don't know if it was november but it was in the fall they did it again in the fall okay you know i went uh, i took my mom with me uh-huh. and i took I took will and uh, we just went and and they were and they were great. And, you know, with comedy in general and and, act, and actors too, it's really trying to like – there's a real art to trying to at least disguise the neediness or push it out of the way of like I need people to like me. And he doesn't have any of that. Like there's just not, none of it. yeah you know, It's like he could be sitting here talking with us and then just walk up and start doing a performance and then yeah. sit back down and keep talking. Like he's so – he was super cool afterwards. Like there was no – it just didn't seem to be in his head at all about that stuff.
1: I think he's. I, th- I. I would venture to guess he's always kind of been like that. And maybe I'm wrong because I've only known him these past five or six years, gotten to know him, and I, I agree with you completely. He's. He's pretty secure in his own skin. Then again, I mean, if I was that fucking funny, yeah. I mean, I fucking funny, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I know, but I know people who are super fucking funny and, and basket and, cases, and that, that absolutely, that's absolutely right. That find it really hard to put one foot in front of the other.
0: Yeah, where where I kind of go like. I don't know if I would want to be that funny if it meant I had to be that yeah. like s- spinning, have my brain spin that hard all the time. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: M- Marty's more, I think, cut from another era, and I just kind of, you know, I don't look, I don't know how much fun those vaudeville guys were to be were to be around, but I don't know, maybe less insecure than another a, a, a newer generation of yeah. comedians, but. Why seems just so at ease with everything. And he's like, what do you want me to do? I'll do, the, I'll do this movie. I'll do the opening of that can. What do you want to do? Let's go. <laughs> I don't really give a fuck. He's really just like, I don't give a fuck. Let's put on a show, you know, yeah. which is so... That's, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. It's just loose. It's like, right. But he's you can't
0: engineer to... that kind of don't give a fuck. You really just have to... And it's not... I mean, he cares about what he does. But I mean, it's just that... Yeah, it is. I think it's like... It's just a lack of... You know, when, when people... People – I think magnetism – there's a part of magnetism that I think is someone who doesn't need you or need anything. You're just kind of drawn to them. I don't know. It's like, oh, what's the – how do they know this weird secret? You know, like they're just so Mm – they can take you or leave you. And not that they're not nice, but I just mean there's not like that desperation at the core of all
1: of it. Well, desperate, yeah. Desperate in our performers is not what we want. is it? Right. Yeah
0: what is the I just saw it on IMDb
1: and I I didn't know it what was the Dirk Diggler short film that you did in 88 that was it that was the boogie basically boogie nights as uh, when I was 17 and obsessed by like the the, which the now way overdone and overused format of fictional documentary you Mm -hmm. know but Zelig and Spinal Tap right um were the things that I loved. And I had the story of like doing it around, uh, kind of like, a, like the Axl Rose thing. They were talking about like a heck who comes to town, who turns into a porno star. And I had Dirk Diggler and Jack Horner and Amber waves and all these characters. And so I did it as a fictional documentary when I was 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. And I filmed it with just friends that I had friends of mine, friends of my dad's. And that's, that's what that is. And that the, the, the bones of the story are boogie nights. There's this, Essentially, the same. You know, it's a rise and fall. He comes, yeah. he rises got a big dick he rises at to the top, and then he kind of crashes, and then I think in the film he meets a tragic end, overdosing. But and it was yeah. But then um, and so that was whenever that was, nineteen eighty seven. And so then over the years, I just continued to write and write and write and write it out, and wrote it as a you know as a fictional story. Which was a really interesting way to do it, actually. I, fit, I felt like I was adapting a documentary that somehow really existed. Sort of like it went on for so long that i would actually tr- tricked myself into <laughs> thinking <laughs> these are, these like, are real people. these are the real people, and I'm just adapting the life story from this documentary that exists. But it was like, well, you made it and came up with it. It was really kind of a bizarre way to work. but
0: Yeah, it, but it, but, it, but again, but, but that idea, and I think, you know, that spawned a whole, uh, I mean, like that, I think spawned, created this whole thing of like oh let's let's play with porn like porn as a as a real genre as a real genre like a main, like a mainstreamy kind of a genre but you know again it i don't think like that was an example of like a, of almost a science experiment of can you humanize you know mm-hmm. can you for an audience humanize something that when people you know watch porn or consume porn the last thing they're thinking of, like, what are their backstories of these actors? You know, yeah. it's like, what, are they, what, what did they do before they got there? You know, like, really maybe making people... Like, the sex part is just completely incidental. Yeah. It's really just about these human characters. They just
1: happen to be working in this field. But really, it's just about... No, the, the th- things, like, that had dealt maybe with porno before, maybe had always had, like... It was, it was like, super, super dark. You know, right. like if you're in porno, you know it means you're from the Midwest, and your father, and you were like raised like Christian, and you came to LA, and you were sort of thrust into prostitution, and it's just fucking misery, and it's like hardcore, it's like Paul Schrader's right. film hardcore. So there was always kind of a treatment about pornography that was kind of like that, or it was just super fucking wacky and ridiculous, and like yeah. you just come up like like laughing at the crazy porn titles and stuff mm-hmm. they had. So maybe we just happen to be there a spot i think i have i think that i think that speak for yourself because i would always get the feeling like looking at porno as a kid you're like wait a minute how does this work exactly (laughs) like how did they like did they did they drive there so they drove they drove (laughs) they drove to this house right and do they know each other? Like I, all,
0: <laughs> I think that I guy was have a boner going to think, did yeah. you just get
1: it right then? Exactly. Yeah. And what is the all of that? I mean, I couldn't help but ask those those questions. I was dying to know the answers to those questions.
0: <laughs> but I think it's you know to think about doing that when you were a senior in high school and making a film in 1987 when. It was not easy to make a film in 1987. You had to get, you to get. I mean, I assume you shot it on, or did you shoot on video? Or did you shoot no, you no, no, film? no. We shot it on video. You shot it on video. So, you, yes. did, you, did, you <laughs> like, did you do like, did you like VCR to VCR editing? That's exactly right. Yes, yeah. yes. The
1: classic. Yeah. Just a <laughs> yeah. little yeah. snow between cuts. <laughs> Just a little wavy. Yeah. Like. Well, the good thing about that was is that your film would only get shorter. It would yeah. never get longer <laughs> because you realize like. Ah, oh, shit. Okay, let me try that again. And and so that was helpful to keep the running time down. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the um, um, I, I tried to buy a video editing deck or rent one, and I just couldn't even get through the manual. I was so inept at reading it. I was like, I'm just going to stick with VCR to VCR. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And did, was it for a school project or just because you wanted to no, do it? No, it was just because I wanted to do it. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's so – it's not – Often that when someone is 17 years old, they go, I know exactly what it is that I want to do. And I'm just – and now I feel like we take it for granted because, you know, if I'm 17 now and I want to make films, like people fucking make films all day because they Mm. they have a studio in their fucking pocket. Right, right. But, you know, just the idea of – and where did you grow up? In Studio City. Oh, you grew up in Studio City. Yeah. Home of
1: studios. Yeah. So you – But it was the first time I was like – I mean, I had the ambition to do it and I felt really confident because I could do it in my backyard. I, I had the right people to fill these parts. This great actor named Bob Ridgely, who's a friend of my dad's, who, who ended up being in Boogie Nights, plays the Colonel in Boogie Nights. He would play oh, the Corner role. And the only thing I, what I, I had my camera and I, and it was just this logistical thing like, right, how, how, how am I going to pull this off? Okay, what do I need? Um, this is easy cause I can do this in my backyard. I've got these guys running down the wash that can do that. And just the kind of the logistical practice and learning that went into that was everything. What, what do I need that I don't have? I need a motel room. I have to have a motel room. So we're riding my bike up. It's not there anymore. It's, they tore it down and built a new one. The universal city motel, right? by Lancashire, Ventura. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, how much is a room? I think it was a hundred dollars. I was like, okay, can I pay you cash? Can I pay you check? And I think it was, I, I think it was cash. And so I had a hundred bucks and I was like, how far in advance do I need to tell you that I'm, you know? <laughs> and, and I think I, they were like, you think they were looking at me like when I was 17. So then I had to go, then, then the next step is like, right. What day can I get everybody together? 'Cause that that's really the thing. That's still the thing, making a movie. Yeah, the schedule. That is still the thing. Like, we can't have her on that day. She's got another movie or she's out of town, or she's with her family. I mean it just did not get any easier. So I was learning it really fast. It was like calling, all right. So I have a cast of ten. I'm gonna make ten phone calls. <laughs> on Tuesday, December sixth, can you at seven o'clock, can you be at the universal and, and finally found that date that worked for everyone which was a school night. Of course. (laughs) Of course. like try, of course, for the weekends. Or I think maybe if we shot on a school, I think the rates were lower as well for the motel so I could keep the budget down as well. So that was another factor and got everybody um, to this motel and shot like, shot what I needed to shoot from about six or seven o'clock until about midnight. And and then the rest was sort of easy to fill in the blanks and all that kind of stuff because I would only need one or two characters here and there. Fond memories of that. That was the first, like, single handedly, like, right, putting this together. It was a great feeling to do it.
0: Right? I just, is it available anyway Is it online? Did you put it on? Is that online or is that on like a DVD box set of something?
1: It's not. It probably should be. I fear that what's out there, it's so, it's the, you know, it's the days of VHS. It's so mangled and so fucked up and hard to watch. I have a copy. I need to, I need to, I need to probably see what I can do about preserving it better.
0: Oh, you really should. Did, yeah. you, you, not have, did you not transfer it to digital? To Is it still no. on
1: a tape? No, it's still on tape. Oh, you got to right.
0: fuck. You gotta get that.
1: Yeah. Somebody sold it online. I saw you can buy it online or it's out there. It may be on YouTube. I actually haven't looked. I've sure, got to be on YouTube. Katie, look it up. See if I it's would, on YouTube. I would imagine. Did you see what the name was? It's, uh, was the it, Dirk Diggler Story. Yeah.
0: I'm sure it's got to be. I, it's not often the internet fails you 100%. No. Where it, no, like, some content is it on
2: there uh, okay we'll wait
1: <laughs> so we i think on? it's it's um i wonder how long it is it's uh, it's not 30 minutes it's yeah. between 20 yes, and 30 yeah. minutes that's absolutely it holy shit there it is how are we doing how many views is
2: it? <laughs> are they playing ads on it i are gonna need some of that yeah
1: but don't go to the comment section. That could really ruin your day. That's yeah, a general yeah, that's a good down. rule in general <laughs> to
0: never go to the comment section. That's fantastic. So that's just like on YouTube the Dirk Diggler story is actually just on YouTube you can just watch it. You so can it, find is, it. it is it pre- is How does something like that get out? If you have a copy of it?
1: No, I, there would be copy I mean that was something that I've sent around like oh, look, you've sent Hollywood it around. I'm here yeah. like <laughs> pay, like pay, like 17 years old like so you want to make porn? No. Exactly. Boxing yeah. it up like Shazam! Look! (laughs) (laughs) Do you, uh,
0: this might be a stupid question, so I apologize, but it, do you, when you look back at all of your work, do you see it as chapters of the same story or do you see each one as kind of its own organism?
1: I guess more towards that thing you just said, like each or like you, I really look at them related personally to like, Oh, I was living. I was, I used to live right around the corner here and driving up. You're like, Oh, right. I, was, I lived here when I made Magnolia. So I really, I tie them so closely to chapters of my life. What was going on? Oh, right. Oh, that was the year my dad died. Oh, that was my, year my sister got sick, whatever it was, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're tied like that to, my experience yeah you know like deeply and do you uh do you kind of look at them as
0: like diaries in a way like because there are sure. obviously stories going on that the audience wouldn't know
1: but in your head it's really it's almost like a playlist in a, in a way sure i certainly yeah, i would say that for sure yeah it would be hard to look at something outside of it being that like oh that was just that one-off that i you know um <laughs> That would be weird. No. Yeah. They're all like these extensions of you know what what's going on. Like, you know, how you're feeling. Some are probably happier than others or crankier than others. But that's not that that's not to say, I mean, there'll be blows like one of the happiest times of my life. And that's a pretty dark film as well. <laughs> so it's not as if there's a correlation in that way. Right. You know? Um yeah, it's funny like that. Yeah, I mean that was, I just I was a really magical, magical, magical time. My first daughter had just been born. Life was like really great. Like nobody was sick. Everything, everything, everything was firing on all cylinders. And yet film is fucking nasty (laughs) but that's okay you know because that was the film that was the thing we were setting out to make you know right that was whatever that was i guess on the i maybe that at that time the world was a little upside down personally my life was great but the world that was that kind of those that george bushy time and all that stuff so i don't know there might have been some of that but
0: Do you say, do you ever say like, oh, you know, I think I want to try to make a, like, you know, when you're making there will be blood, you go, I want to try to make a Western or do you, do you come up with the story and then go, oh, this is kind of what it needs to be? I mean, like, do you, do you seek to do, do you actively seek to do something different every time? Or is it just like, well, whatever this is, it just is?
1: Try to, yeah, but within reason. Not like, right, we really got to make a musical, guys. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's that, not, not that broad reaching. It's more like, I think you do have aims towards something. Like, on this, it was, there were these films that I loved. And, and the idea of, one, the, the, the smallest idea was running a, a relationship movie about a man and a woman. Right, okay. but that So that could be any number of scenarios thinking about Daniel, thinking about those Gothic romance movies that I love, the Rebecca's and all that kind of the gaslights and stuff like that, that kind of starts to guide you towards a little bit of a genre, you know, that kind of helps you have a foothold like, right. Um, it wasn't as if I said like, you know, I believe me, I have an itch to sort of, you haven't always have an itch to kind of go out to Barbados to start shooting or something mm-hmm. like that. But, don't really listen to it too strongly some like it's just the things that start accumulating they're like this is good this is exciting this sounds good i like that idea come on going to london this is good this is getting good this is getting good you know you just keep hope like accumulate exciting ideas that that days later are still exciting you know when you find like it hasn't worn off there's no i'm not just drunk i'm not i'm not i'm not, not hung over i'm like i'm not hung over with this is like it's it has staying power it gets you excited and then the next thing you know, for me, at least you're like, it's too late. You're going. You're going. So <laughs> We're living there now. It's happening.
0: Yeah, so you yeah. follow the emotion in the gut more than that, than the conscious, like, I am
1: going to do this. I think so. Yeah. But then, you start, you know, that, that gut stuff only lasts for so long. And then you start getting practical. You're like, well, this is this is what's happening. This is this film. And how does that shape look and all that? Um,
0: yeah. It is a
1: relationship, though,
0: because you it's you can get so excited about an idea and then then when you're doing and it. it's like oh i have to stay you know you have to, yeah. have to stay excited about this cuz right. it's like a relationship i mean it really is a relationship yeah someone was saying that um they said oh have you seen the meyerwitz uh uh-huh. stories yeah. stories and i go no i haven't seen that. they go adam sandler's amazing in it and they sort of said it like can you believe adam sandler i was like but he's great <laughs> in punch drunk love you know it's was like yeah. it's great in punch drunk love and then i know but you know obviously he does this he does he does the adam sandler character in you know yeah. like na- now on netflix mm-hmm. but you know, I think you really helped show the world, like, oh, they, like he's a real actor. Like, he really is a performer.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that there should be, like, a moratorium on the, like, Adam Sandler's or real actor articles that I kind of see. I'm like, come on, it's so, it, like, becomes, like, he's fucking, you know, I've always loved Adam. And he's given, like, great performance after great performance. Like, not even, I haven't seen Meyerowitz stories yet, but remember, like, Funny People came out. Yeah. I mean, it was that same no. thing. Yeah, yeah. With, like. yeah. Funny people. Wait, yeah. did you see how good Adam Sandler is? You're like, right? Like it wasn't the last movie that <laughs> he, you know, and yeah. and it's funny. It's like some people, I don't know, that they they get in a position where somehow audiences still feel like they need to be proven somehow. What do you think? So I think for some people, because a lot of people don't look. And again,
0: this just goes back to people maybe not having enough attention or just being dicks. I don't know. But not really looking at a full scope of someone's work or someone's story. They see a couple things or a handful of things. You know, he he's sort of done the Adam Sandler character in more movies than he has not. That's true. And so I think yeah. for a lot of people,
2: they just go, oh,
0: oh, he's just a goofy, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He didn't right. switch
2: it up as much as Robin Williams did early on. Right. Just to, like, kind of... Right, right,
0: right. That. And so I think that's probably... You know, and m- most people really will form a judgment based on one or two things.
1: I wonder, I mean, I was there for Peter Sellers doing Being There. I, when that came out, and I remember that was really like, Peter Sellers doing a dramatic part, you know. But <laughs> it's not that fucking dramatic. It's yeah. still fucking hilarious. But there is a thing, I think it's particularly attached to comedians. That if we, we've gotten to know them through them making us laugh. And suddenly, we're sort of on edge for anything else that might happen. And Robin Williams is a really good example. You remember there was sort of like Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam was yeah. a big. I think Robin going character. back to Moscow on the Hudson, Moscow where it was like Hudson. it's
0: not really a cop Like he did some Robin Williamsy things in it. He was big. He was
2: a big character because he was a big Russian. You know.
0: Right, club. right, right. But but ultimately, it was like a really kind of
1: a. It was a serious just kind yeah. of a serious kind of a Tom Hanks story. is somebody who has successfully. Confused audiences, and, it, yeah. and a, I mean, and I mean that as a as a grand compliment, right. and that we expect a lot from him because he's so fucking good. Yep, he's hilarious, and when he started out, it was it was bachelor party, bachelor party, turn turn around, hooch and splash, burbs <laughs> splash some, was the first one, splash was first, and he yeah. and I and that was
0: like, uh and that's when he sort of said i'd heard this i worked with the tv director once who had done bosom buddies Mm -hmm. and he said you know right out of the gate splashing really well and tom had this theory that if you do a movie and it's successful you get three more chances and if any one of those are successful you get three more chances (laughs) and so he yeah he does have a few kind of early on where that
1: are he picked i mean he just made he made a lot of great films though too like So I'm trying to think of the order in my head and I'll get it wrong but basically at Big was the thing that was like something besides just wacky yeah. you know and but he's hilarious in it as yeah. well you know and then another level was when you saw him in League of Their Own League of Their Own remember right. yeah. that was and still is I don't know if you've seen that performance lately but fuck it's so it's good it's great yeah.
0: and then Philadelphia and then, and then you get jump, to the more
1: then- you know the D you know capital D dramatic stuff Philadelphia but I don't know. How do we get on this, Tom Hanks? Well, we're talking about comedians. We're talking, Hicks, about
0: comedians. we're talking about comedians, and and, and you know, like how there's some prejudice prejudice in the business against comedians, which I I personally think. You know, I, I get irritated that the Oscars is so snubby about comedies when I think comedies, I think it, like if they go toe to toe, I think a really solid comedy is equally, if not harder, to make in some senses than drama. Because you really you really are having to go out on a limb to make people relate to it and laugh. And that's a yeah. very hard thing to do. And a lot of comedians, I feel like, because they're so complicated, can give insane dramatic performances. Because they are. a lot of them are very serious people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I dare anybody to try and do what Tiffany Haddish did in that movie. I mean, right? You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I know oh, Tiffany really sure. well. You're talking okay. about Girls Trip. Yeah. That's like a fucking magic trick. How good she is in that, and I dare anybody to try and go on like take after take, or even do one take as good as she is. She is a fucking force. She, I mean, she, she's such incredible. a great performance. I
0: remember seeing her in the back of the improv, in the small room at the Im- in the improv a few years ago, and she was crushing in front of a really small crowd, and I was like, she's gonna be a superstar. You could just you could just see it. Like whatever yeah, it was, the, like the perfect combination of drive and f- and funny. And charisma. Very and, honest too. The way yeah. she
1: uh that some of her stand-up stuff is spot that I've heard. I haven't heard much of it. But it's pretty fucking straightforward. We
0: did a um we did this thing for Comedy Central called um uh the Comedy Jam, where you it was it very it was very similar to Greg Barrett's Bring the Rock. Uh-huh. Where you tell a story and then you do do a song about it. And I we were on the same show and she did um she did the Tina Turner and the fucking musical performance, her voice was incredible. Like, had the dress. Like, nailed the song. Nailed the dancing. Nailed the performance. Like, yeah, she's just one of those people that's just gonna yeah. crush at every performance-related thing that she does. But do you... How old do you think she is? I don't know. You're never supposed to ask. Tiffany, I mean, age. she's probably she's early
1: 30s. She's early 30s, right? I oh, think yeah. so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Late, late 20s, early... Probably early 30s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I think so. But, I mean... I would imagine you probably you see performers like that because obviously you love
1: comedy, and you just sort of file that away and go. Some yeah, I think that there's absolutely, yeah, for sure, or 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 not even file it away. Like, ha, 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 I'm inspired. Like, look how how can I be a part of that? But you have a tremendous power
0: because you you could literally you can you can make people see a dimension of someone. Even like Burt Reynolds, like Burt Reynolds hadn't done really anything in a while that wasn't kind of goofy, and, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" You know, it's like yeah. you 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 sort of you don't just bring the humanity and complexity to the stories, but also the meta stories of the
2: performers who are in them. People go, "Holy shit!" Look at <laughs> like look well, at even that with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Magnolia. Like that was like the first time I saw him like do something that wasn't just like really sad and
1: creepy like
2: you know like his role in happiness that's and then, funny
1: that's right that's yeah. right he's like very he's so st- sweet, st- straight a... kind of character yeah 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 well i don't know i mean that This just goes back to some things that we were talking about before i think some of these things you look at most films and how many times does somebody just like get to like sit and i'm perform a scene or settle with something or like let the camera hold on them that's not anything particularly fantastic that i'm doing except maybe allowing a little bit of breathing room like you give somebody just a chance to settle with something so many scenarios that you see in films like there's somebody's rushing somewhere there's something going on that just is clouding an ability to like just to see what's going on if you're too much rushing around or too much cutting. Sometimes it's just like, well, I, I don't know where to look. That's why they, I think Tiffany Haddish could have been as good as she is in that movie. But it was really well directed. And it was really actually really well put together. I mean, she, it, there's, it's conceivable that she could have done that performance. And it might have been missed. Like this thing we were talking about before. Cut the wrong thing or not frame it the right way. But there's a lot of like just patient directing and letting those girls do their thing not trying to spice it up not trying to shazam it all over the place and i think that allows her to like fucking just give me the keys just yeah. put that over there and let me do my thing and don't don't get in the way so as we're sort of wrapping this
0: up um uh i'm i'm gonna ask a question that i feel like now like we're at a, you're on a panel and I get up in front of the microphone and go hey I have a question for you but let's just let's just say that there are two guys who are sitting in front of you who separately are both going to direct their first thing first movie sometime within the next year or two mm-hmm. what uh, what would you say to those guys like what is it what what what's is there is there any like when you when you sort of distill it down and when you think about Directing what is it? What do you think your job is? And then also, like, what are some things that you like just, you know, wisdom nuggets or things like mantras that you have or just ways that you think about it?
1: Well the first thing I would do, suggest is that you go get Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, great idea. Yeah, yeah, well I think you just retired though. Because I'm going to get him out of retirement because then to you, do a horror you, movie. You, yeah. You 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 will look like the greatest director. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um whatever you're going to do, get good actors. And, and I I mean, a lot of this conversation has been about that. Like get, get get those actors, talk to them early, get them involved and get, because they're, they're the ones and they're, they're going to be the thing they're looking at. That's what I would, I, that's my, that's my one piece of free advice. (laughs) And, um, the other thing, I mean, even about directing, this is my one other thing that I've found. I think I've said this before is like trouble that I've had consistently 10 out of 10 times directing was always like when the writing was shit like you go to you got a really good scene you get there that day suddenly you're like it's falling together i mean yeah you, it's work but it, it generally falls together if it's well written like and you can you know it on the page and those kind of like ones that you haven't dealt with that are sitting out there or even something that you think is well written that ultimately you can't see the time is actually not even gonna be in the movie. Yeah. Those are the days those are the days where your head's exploding and you're like biting your lip and you're like, well, I don't know what's going on, I can't figure it out. I've found that it's always about the writing. That's my that's the only two things I can say, because that it's not it's not that hard to go to work each day when the writing's good. You're like, right, just keep it simple, keep it straight, make plays, make plays. Like I remember telling Guy I was working with at the time, like you just drive him to work and he's like just he'd send the greatest thing to me He was like, just make plays. It was like about ba- basketball metaphor it was like that thing you see when you're like everybody's trying to do too much shit, and you like the coach is like, just make plays right. <laughs> like That was good advice that he gave me. Sit in the back of the car, just make plays. I was like, "Great, that's a good one." Excellent.
0: (laughs) So, Phantom Thread is is the movie. uh, This is going up the. Oh, it's Christmas
1: Day. Is it Christmas Day? Yeah, yeah. It's coming out in um, the end of January for the rest
0: of the country. So why? So limited release uh, Christmas, and then wide release at the end of January. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me in your home. It's really nice to see you and uh, and uh, go see the movie. Uh, Enjoy your burrito, everyone.
1: Now
0: leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
1: This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly
0: scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt.
2: No compromise, just pure
0: snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist... Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.